Uh, one of the things I wanted to say real quick, uh, this is self-deprecating, so don't worry, I'm not becoming uh, arrogant here. I'm just really, really grateful that we have a team who is just radically committed uh, to making Sundays happen. Some of you don't know that, uh, but even before maybe some of you woke up, there was people in here setting up cords and, and wheeling stuff around. And um, so occasionally I get to step in because I tend to break things. They only let me help set up here and there. I don't know why, um, but that's why. And so um, I was part of the team last night who came in here to set up. And I was reminded of just how much dedication there is as I was rolling a chair cart and I think broke all three of my toes on my right foot. So I'm a little bit gimpy today for that reason. But what I was reminded of driving home and, and being a real wimp about it was uh, we just have people who week after week literally sacrifice their, li- sacrifice their lives so that you can have worship on Sunday morning. So just want to say thank you um, to the team who stepped up in that way, even in, in this transitional season. There's still people showing up, making sure you have a chair to sit in, making sure there's a screen and a camera and lights and all that kind of stuff. So anyway... I just want to throw that out as a tangent. I know some of you, um, I may get in trouble for saying this, I'm going to say it anyway. Some of you, uh, whether you're watching online or you're right here, uh, high school for you is a distant memory. (laughs) It's like, oh yeah, I remember when high school was a thing. I always remember when I was in a school building. Others of you, it was much closer. Others of you are in the middle of it. Uh, right now. For me, it's kind of a mix of both. There's some really good memories I have in high school, uh, but most, most of the things I tend to remember about high school were all the dumb things I did. Now, I'm going to actually open up this microphone and allow you to come up and share uh, just some of the dumb things you did. I'm kidding. We're not doing that. That would be awful. I would regret it, and you would all leave. <laughs> You'd be like, I can't believe I sit next to that person. That's awful. So there's nothing I would say incredibly immoral about my high school career when it came to pranks or conversations or uh, escapades. But what I do remember is a lot of just the dumb things that I thought were really funny that I would tend to do. So again, this was things like pranking teachers or moving other kids' desks or things like that. Like I was very mischievous. But one of my favorite things to do in high school, not necessarily in classes, but just like in my high school life, was to photobomb people. Now, some of you don't know what a photobomb is. I want to show you just a quick example. Here's some women enjoying uh, a tropical vacation. It was probably really fun. They get to play with the Singray. Uh, here's what a photobomb actually is like. Okay? <laughs> like, the Stingray somehow moved around and photobombed their picture. So anyway, you can take that for what it's worth. I just thought it was a funny picture. Photobombing is essentially that. It's taking, like, a, jumping into someone else's photo you weren't supposed to be on, a.k.a. the Stingray. So... Remember a specific time um, I, I photobombed other classes' senior pictures? So I'm in like class of 07, 08, 09 at Caledonia High School. I'm quite proud of that. Um, further into college, uh, I remember a specific time, Lindsay and I were actually traveling with a choir, and we were in the capital city of Ottawa in Canada, and we were there, and this huge high school, like probably senior trip was going on, and they were outside Parliament Hill, this beautiful picture, big group of people, and I like, I said, watch what I'm about to do. So I sneak around, I get into the back, and, and I, to this day, I just have visions of rural Canadian high school. I'm like in the back like this. Just like full on smile. And I'm wondering, like, does a teacher walk by that every day? And like, who is that kid? Like, I don't, I didn't teach him. I don't even know where he's from. And that's me. I'm quite proud of that. So that's my idea. I think maybe those are out there somewhere. Uh, 
What's funny though is to me what made what makes photobombing so funny is that it's you're completely clueless. Like if you're in the like picture itself, you're pretty much clueless about what is happening behind you, including the stingray. They became very aware of what was happening in the picture. And there's certain things in life that it's okay to be clueless about. Like for instance, it's okay to be clueless about the currency exchange in Tibet right now. Like it's okay to be clueless about that. You're not an immoral person for knowing that. It's not gonna destroy your relationships. Uh, It's not immoral or incredibly destructive for you to not know the person sitting behind you's favorite brand of cereal. Like it's okay if you don't know that. Maybe you should ask that afterwards, but it's okay to not know that. It's not destructive. It's even okay to be clueless in some ways about things that you'll need to know in the future. For instance, some of you are wanting to get married. It's okay to be a little bit clueless about what marriage is really like, but if you remain clueless about what marriage takes and and a healthy marriage looks like, you're gonna end up in a place you didn't wanna be. So there's actually things that you can be clueless about that are destructive to remain ignorant and clueless about. And I think about, especially in just our world, um, it's, it's not okay to be clueless about how to drive and get behind the, the steering wheel. You should probably know some things about how to drive before you do that, i.e. driver's training, which I think those people should get paid like 300 grand a year. To sit in the car with someone who's never driven before, that's a different kind of faith that I do not have. So there's incredibly uh, destructive things that it's, it, you need to be aware of. Here's what I just wanna say, I look around the culture we're in, and I look at what scripture says, I think when it comes to our words, we are often clueless about the power they hold. I think the way we communicate, maybe the the things we say, the things we share online, whatever, I think for the most part, as I look at our community and even some of my own tendencies, uh, I think words, when we're clueless about their power, can be incredibly destructive. Take it to the next level. There are words that people spoke over you or conversations you had or things your parents said you still remember. And it wasn't because they were positive. It's because they were destructive and they, they tore you down. They ripped you apart. And so the, the passing comment to a coworker, do we know the power of our words? A sarcastic comment to a significant other, to a roommate, to a spouse, are we aware of the power of our words? Ever been to a citizen input time at a community hall, town meeting? I think some, some of those people are clueless to the power of their words and just rip people to shreds that they've never met and don't know anything about. But you already know that. All of us kind of know that. Like there's latent power within our words and often we are clueless about how we're using them or what we are saying and how that's affecting other people. And so what do we miss when it comes to our words? That's one of the questions I want to explore today is what, what are we missing? Because as you look at the scripture story, creation begins with God speaking. It's a word. He creates. And the fall and the, the havoc that sin has just wreaked upon our lives and our families and our cultures and our communities, even our towns, those began with words. An exchange between Adam and Eve and the serpent, like words really do matter. And as you trace the story all the way from creation through the Old Testament and leading up into the new, you see that there's incredible power with words. And even the apostles, the early disciples of Jesus, did not take their words very lightly. And Jesus sometimes rebuked them and condemned them for how they were using their words. And so I want to take you to a letter written by Paul as he's in change called the Ephesians, to the Ephesian church. I want to take you there. So if you have a Bible with you or you have a device or you want to look it up while you're online, Ephesians 4 is where we're going to be. And just a couple verses I want to pull out. Because here's the deal, you and I share a problem with Ephesus. 
You and I have a common problem. All of us have influence and all of us have power to, to use our words to build up or to tear down. And yet often we are clueless about that. But they're also in the Ephesian culture. See, Paul planted this church in a kind of opposing territory. Ephesus was not a super Christian area. Ephesus was not really clean and politically nice. Ephesus was a pretty intense space. It was a hub for commerce and trade and, and ports and all these things. So you'd have people coming from all other faiths and backgrounds and, and upbringings. And the way they use their words was incredible, could be incredibly destructive. Ephesus as a town was really influential. And so Paul's writing saying, hey, I know I planted this church, but there's some things you just have to get right as the church. There's some things that really do make a difference in how you handle them. And he began or starts to close out his letter as he's in prison saying, make sure you get this right. And this is what he writes in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then he goes on and gives a list. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, which is saying something untrue about someone, along with every form of malice or, again, anger in your heart. He closes out the chapter by saying, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul's in chains, and if you and I were not sure about the, the longevity of our human life, there are certain things we would say because we're really, really important, and this for Paul was one. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The, the word there in verse 29 is a really gross word, and so I'm glad the NIV translators decided we're going to just say unwholesome talk. Really, that word, uh, I'll give you an example. Lindsay and I decided to decorate for fall because we're good neighbors, okay? We're not stingy. We're not Scrooge. We rake our leaves and we put out pumpkins on our porch, just like you may have did. And so we did that. We got a couple pumpkins, set them out. Uh, a couple days later, I found out I have some really obese squirrels in my neighborhood. Okay. Like, wow. I did not. It was like hours after setting them down. There's huge holes, chunks out of my pumpkins. And then eventually they just start to rot and to get destroyed and get really, really gross. And we had to chuck them in the backyard. They just, they smelled and looked awful. It was not the good neighbor impression I was hoping to leave on those people. Uh, that is really the idea of, of Paul's word sapros, which means unwholesome talk. It's literally rotten vegetables or fruit. And if you know vegetables and fruit, hopefully you eat some of them occasionally. When you eat them, they're supposed to build up a wholesome body. They're supposed to build up strength in your bones and give you nutrients and vitality. If it, just picture with me, instead of doing that and getting some fresh produce, you said, I, I remember John has like a rotting pumpkin on his porch. I should go have that. Like I should go eat some of that. That's kind of the, inner, like the exchange Paul's saying, instead of taking what's supposed to be wholesome and build you up, unwholesome talk is coming out of you. You're literally spewing garbage, rotten fruit and vegetable. This is the idea. It's repulsive to people. It's gross. It smells bad. It's not what is intended, which is why it's so important as you read the first half of Ephesians. He's reminding these people, saying, this is your identity. This is who you are. And then the second half of this letter is how you're going to live that out. Not only do you know your identity, but here's how that identity plays out in real time. And what Paul is writing to summarize these couple verses, this is his heart. When you talk and open your mouth, 
When you talk to someone, you are representing me, and ultimately you are speaking to another child of God. I have created people in my image, and I'm not asking if you like them or agree with them or vote like they did. I'm just saying, when you open your mouth to talk to someone else, you are talking to a child of God. And over and over again, as you read through the New Testament, they use this imagery of a weapon for words. Now, really, if you can summarize what Paul is saying here in just one sentence, this would be it. Our words can be a weapon for good or weapons for evil. And all of you already know that. You're like, I came to church for that. Like, yes, that, that is the reminder Paul is giving Ephesians because even for them, they, they knew words had power. They, they had had debates in the public square. They had made significant trade deals in business. They knew that their words had power. They had probably been on the receiving end here and there of some really harsh words, maybe from a Roman guard or a tax collector. Like they knew the power that words had. And yet Paul reminds them again, our words can be weapons for good or weapons for evil. But here's what I think. I've read this verse a bazillion times. Here's what I miss every time. Verse 29. So he says, don't let any garbage come out of your mouth. But here's what he gives a clarifier. He says, only speak what is helpful for building who up? Others. For building others up according to whose needs? Their needs. So that it would benefit me? No. It would benefit those who listen. All three of those directions are not based around me. I'm the speaker, but what Paul is addressing is not just, do you think your words are good, good or evil? He's saying, are the people on the receiving end of your words taking these words as helpful and benefiting and adding value to their lives and encouraging them? It's a heart check for all of us. Uh, some of you are, I'll just, some of you are gun owners. <laughs> some of you like guns and like things that blow things up, and I may fall into your camp. But What's interesting, if you think about a gun, so for instance, my father-in-law has a literally a shotgun cabinet and I sleep next to it every time I stay at his house. Uh, I just feel safer that way. No, it's actually because that's the only place my air mattress will fit. So Lindsay and I sleep right next to it and literally like feet away, it's just like eight shotguns just lined up. What's interesting is that a shotgun in and of itself has no real destructive power, right? You know this. If it's just sitting there for years, like some of his guns have, it really doesn't have any efficacy or damage or, or destructive power to it. It's when it's applied to something else that it has power. And like a gun should, it destroys things. It's the same with a sword. Some of you are medieval people or have some like uh, weird like fantasy Lord of the Rings hobbies like me. And you really enjoy when there's like a cool sword fight or some kind of battle. A sword just like up on the mantle or hung somewhere or in an armory has zero damage effect. Zero destructive power. When you take a sword and apply it to something else or to someone else, that's where the destruction happens. That's where the power is. And so Paul is saying, not just do you think your sword is sharper? Do you think your gun is powerful or is it good or evil? He's saying, how are the people on the receiving end of your words taking them? Do they think they're beneficial? Do they view them as valuable and, and, and encouraging and, and good advertisements for the kingdom of God? Or do they take them as something else? See, using our words for evil is so, so normal in our culture. It's almost hard to detect it. 
And you know this from being online for five minutes. You can tell. It's just people do not know the power of their words. Pastor John Piper said this quote, and man, it has stuck with me for these last couple weeks. He says, beware lest you grow accustomed to sin because it's so normal. Beware. Watch out. Caution. Lest you grow accustomed or, or acclimatized to the sin in our world or in your own life because it's so normal. Don't be normal. (laughs) Don't let the world trick us into thinking normal is okay or normal is somehow holy or righteous or even just justified. There's a problem we share with Ephesians. It's the influence of our world. But as you look at the scriptures, here's a problem the Ephesians didn't have that you and I now have. Sitting at the end of 2020, there's a problem that we all share that none of the, the Christians in Ephesus shared. It's that you and I are more hyper-connected than ever before. It, just the dawn of technology that, that Ephesus didn't have. Think about how long it took to send a message to another country in, in this climate. Weeks, maybe months, maybe days if you're really, really wealthy. But now you and I have the power at our fingertips to share a word with anyone in an instant. And millions of people have access to it. Millions of people. You've obviously been influenced probably by words of people you've never met. You've been influenced by a video that you, you have no idea who they are, where they grew up, nothing about them, but it's influenced maybe your thinking or, or how you're making decisions in this world. We in our world have exponential power to our words that when Paul's writing, this just didn't exist. That means the responsibility just went from here to here in our, in our community, in our own church, in our own following of Jesus Lindsay and I play this car game uh, when we're really, really bored. You know how there's certain car games you only play when you're like, I am dying here. Like uh, some of you do the alphabet game on billboards. One of the ones Lindsay and I do is six degrees of separation. Have any of you done this before? You've just tried it out, like thought, familiar with the term? Okay, a few of you. So six degrees of separation essentially is the idea that you can connect with anybody in the world, essentially removes only six people. So, for instance, Lindsay and I played this a couple years ago and found out I was like two degrees away from the president at the time, which made me feel quite important. I felt quite influential. Uh, your favorite celebrity, there's a really good chance, I'm not sure the actual percentage, but really, really good chance that you are like three, four, five, maybe even six degrees separated, six people away from knowing that person or having exposure to that person. I say all that to say our world is is more hyper-connected than it's ever been. It's why you and I now are really familiar with this random market in China that we'd never heard of, and now it's causing you to work from home for a year. Like, think about how hyper-connected and networked we are as a world. It's why Wuhan is like a big deal to you, because it's affected every part of your life. But before, for Ephesus... It doesn't matter. Like what's happening in another country would largely be unaffected. I say all that to say there's increasing power to you and I and how we use our words and the exposure that our words are going to have. It's why I am really, to be honest, convicted to read the end of this passage. When you read verse 32, this is what Paul writes. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. He says, here's how you do it. You forgive each other. You keep short accounts. You love the people around you. And this is his appeal. This is our foundation. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Just as in Christ, he appeals not just to be better or be a nice citizen or or act better online. He's saying, no, it's actually the foundation for our words should be the cross. 
It should be the very gospel message that's transformed you and I. It's how God forgave us. And in the culture of Ephesus, this would have been totally backwards because no other God in the Ephesian culture had ever stepped down into humanity, sacrificed themselves for their freedom. None. The gods were you, you contribute to the gods and they may look on you with pity and give you something. No God in their culture had stepped down and said, I'm going to lay down my life for you because I love you that much. And so as Christians, we have a unique foundation for our words that really no other people group on the planet have. Jesus. The very good news of grace and hope and redemption. It's why Paul is so, again, convicting in verse 30. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Spirit of God literally weeps when you and I use our words to tear down other image bearers of God. Weeps. That's an emotive term. That's a, how a mother cries when she's lost a child. It's, it's that type of anguish and grief and pain. And Paul's saying, you know that feeling? That's the feeling God the Father has when we tear one another apart with words and we're clueless about their power. So I want to give you, just as we kind of wrap up here, just really four very, very practical ways to do this. Because for all of us, we're like, we're either sitting there feeling like, I'm pretty good. I don't talk that much. So I'm set. You're not off the hook. Or if you're sitting there, you're like, yep, I have said some things yesterday that I'm not proud of and probably should delete or take back or text someone right after this and ask for forgiveness. But I want to give you four things, four practical ways as we look at Scripture uh, that I think you just can't say too much. Four words that are part of what Paul is talking about when it comes to encouraging and benefiting those who listen. Let's just kind of go through them rapid fire. Number one, thank you. Thank you. If you've ever worked fast food, you know what this feels like when someone says thank you. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? What'd you say? Or when someone says your name, and you're like, how do you know my name's Chris? I was like, well, it's on your name tag. <laughs> like, Christopher. <laughs> like, thank you, Chris. Like that... Have you, if you ever done that to someone, they are just like, whoa. Because especially, think about airports when people used to go to those things. Like airports, uh, fast food lines in airport, people are rushing and quick, and they are some of the meanest human beings you've ever met to, to service people they don't want anything about. Just so cold and very rarely in some of those settings, even in our own community, do you hear the words, thank you. Thank you. You just can't say that too much. You just cannot say that too much, whether it's to someone close or someone in a drive through line or someone at the gas station. You can't say it too much. Thank you. The second one is I love you. I love you. I love you has a way when said in the right moment of absolutely reshaping a future and reshaping a relationship. Not like the pithy, like, hey, I love you, like at the end of a phone call, but are deep in the eyeballs looking saying, I love you. Now, sometimes that's a spouse. Sometimes that's a best friend. You need to hear that or need to express that. Sometimes that's, uh, some of you grew up with parents who you never heard that. And there's someone in your life, maybe this week, if they said that, it would just break you down and, and comfort you and change you in a way that you just were not expecting. There's only a few people in my life that, that when they say that, it just cuts to the deep of me. And when people say, I love you, I just can't hear it enough. Like any time... My parents says that, or Lindsay and I say it to one another. It just takes on a different form. I don't think you can say that too much. Number three, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
You can never say that too much. There's a lot of endings to that, but beginning a conversation or a text or a phone call by saying, I'm sorry, is the first step in being a humble person. Because I'm sorry admits wrong. It admits you don't have all the answers. It admits that maybe you don't have the full picture that God has over someone's life or their circumstances or your workplace or how your boss is, is behaving right now. Just being able to say, you know, I'm sorry. Sometimes that's confession of what you did wrong. Sometimes that's a, a real deep apology for a person you've hurt or maybe words you've spoken that were destructive. I don't think we could say I'm sorry enough. Here's the fourth one, I believe in you. I didn't really hear this that much growing up. I believe in you. In my mind, it was perform, be successful, work hard, pull yourself up, be independent, and then we'll see what you become. But the words, I believe in you at the right time, especially if, if you were in a season of life in which you don't feel like you have clarity, some of you are walking through that, you're not sure, what is my job gonna look like? What does my future look like? I thought I'd be retired by now. I would thought I'd be more successful. I thought I'd be making more by now, but I'm not in that place. And someone's sitting down across a cup of coffee from you and saying, I believe in you, could shape your future. You have that power. All of us, there's no prerequisite to you saying those four things every single week to somebody. Maybe not all at once, but at the right time as God's spirit leads you, I don't think we can say those too much. What strikes me about what Paul writes is that it's a consistent vision throughout the scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. We see that the words uh, we speak have incredible value and power when used wisely. I want to throw up two scriptures in Proverbs. And just in the quietness of the moment, I'm going to stop using my words. And I want you to read the words of Solomon here in Proverbs and just hear these, feel these as we continue on. Did you catch some of that? Words that bring life, words that heal, words that build up, words that encourage. This is the vision for the kingdom of God people. This is how we use our words. The vision is to bring life and to bring wholeness and healing. And friends, too often we are clueless about the power and how destructive our words often are when we don't use them intentionally. We don't use them wisely. We don't think about what we're saying. When I was in high school, again, I shared, there's a lot of dumb things I did. There's, again, we're not going to open mic. If you want to come up and confess them all after, I'll find someone you can do that to. So, but what I think about high school, there's some incredibly fun things. There were some uplifting things. Really, if I look at my own journey, it was kind of my junior, senior of high school, in which I took my faith to the next level. Really, it was something that I inherited or was skeptical about. It became kind of a moment for me in which I fully surrendered my life to Christ. It was in that season. So there's incredibly powerful things. I remember one incredibly powerful moment. Um, wasn't at church, actually. It was on my way to homecoming. It was like my senior year homecoming. I was excited. Um, there's something that maybe none of you really know about me, but in high school, I was absolutely obsessed with girls. I was obsessed with girls. Now you're like, yeah, what high school boy is not obsessed with girls? But I was like really, really obsessed, like multiple girlfriends. Uh, I always sat at lunch with just a table full of beautiful women. I think it's probably because of me. They all want to gather together. 
Probably not. There's probably some other ulterior motives. But either way, I was just always surrounded by girls. That's who I hang out, hang out with, like would hang out with all the time. And I was just, I thought it was incredible. And so I finally, I asked one of these girls, like, hey, do you want to go to homecoming with me? And she's like, absolutely, John. I can think of nothing else I want in this world. No, I'm kidding. She didn't say that. I think she had a couple other options that fell through, to be honest. And I was just excited to, to be with her. Um, and so I said, all right, let's go. I'll pick you up. We went to dinner, walk into homecoming, and I'm feeling like literally the best looking person on the planet. I was like, not because I felt like I looked good, but because she looked good. And I was just really excited about it. So I walk into homecoming, I see this group of friends who I kind of knew, but not super well. And so it's all these guys kind of huddled up together. And I'm walking in just so proud. I'm walking, like everything feels like it's in slow motion. I've got like just this, I don't know, like, George Clooney vibe about me. We're walking through. I just felt like it was incredible. And uh, the guys kind of turn over to me and start laughing. And immediately my heart sinks. I'm like, oh no. Like, uh, what do I, what do what I do wrong? Like, did I do a tie wrong? Is my fly down? <laughs> like, what is going on? Is, is this girl making faces at me that I can't see? I don't know. So I was very confused by it. We finally kind of brush up right next to them and he says, is that your date? And I was like, yep, that's my date. And he goes back, oh, that, that's really interesting. We always thought that you were gay. <laughs> Which is kind of funny now, right? But in that moment, those words crushed me. It was incredibly destructive. And 10 years later, I remember that exact moment. It is kind of humorous now. It's kind of funny now. And, but there were years of my life in which I just, I felt those words tangibly. Just speak lies over my life. Speak the opposite of the kind of image God was trying to create in my very new, young, surrendered soul. And... Not till like the last year or two did I sit down with a counselor and just walk that out. Say, why did that affect you? Why do you still hear that? What, what are, what's going on? And I am blessed with an incredible marriage. I am married to the best looking person in the room. No offense to anybody else, but like almost seven years in, I'm really grateful for the relationship that I have with Lindsay. But here's what's interesting. All the relationships in the world, all the girls in the world, all the dates in the world, would not uncover the pain and the wound of someone saying that to me. And I just want to remind you, it may feel funny, it may feel like a joke, but there are certain words that we say that we just don't know. The crazy part about that story, I don't even remember that kid's name. I have no idea who he is. I have no idea what he's up to. I'm not friends with him online. Like, I don't know anything about him. You know what I remember? What he said the words that pierced me and shaped me in a way that was incredibly destructive. Our words can be a weapon for good or weapons for evil. Friends, how are you using your words? How are people on the other side of your words receiving your words is probably the better question. And the last thing I wanna say, and Paul writes this later on in other places, I just want us to internalize it as before we respond in worship is simple. Every time we open our mouths, we are an advertisement for God's kingdom. And I probably should have added every time we put our fingers to the keyboard. 
Every time we open our mouth, we are advertisements for God's kingdom. What the world needs is not more of our opinions or more of our uh, convictions, though they are important. And you should keep, you should be deeply convinced on certain things in this world and you should speak out. We don't need to withhold our words on issues of injustice or human trafficking or abortion or uh, like adoption. Any of, like, I'm not saying just stop using words, but what I'm saying is, are you thinking well? about the words you are sharing, whether it's online or in a conversation in a boardroom or in a hallway or in a bedroom, because our words could be weapons for good or for evil. And every time we open our mouth, we are an advertisement. This is what God's kingdom is like. What are people on the other end of our words this week gonna experience? And so I wanna pray for us because I know, like me, this is an incredibly convicting topic. <laughs> And I just don't often think about my words. I just speak and say them and type them and post them. But there are some things that I think even God, as I think about Thanksgiving and the opportunity of being with family and being with some people I'm not always with in close quarters, there's gonna be opportunities to say some of those things that I don't think we can say enough. I'm sorry, I love you, I believe in you. There's also gonna be opportunities in which I can use words for evil and to destroy. And that same opportunity is presented to you today tomorrow, this week, next week. And so I just want to pray that God would stir, keep stirring that in us. I don't want you to feel at the end of this message like you, you're good. <laughs> I want all of us to feel a little uncomfortable because that's what God's spirit does. He comes in and, and corrects where we need to be corrected. And I think all of us, even today, myself, can use that correction. So God, we just come before you. And as we, as we sit here under just the power of your word, not my words, but the power of your words, words of life and truth, words of grace, words of compassion, maybe even words of correction. God, I pray that you would continue to speak to us this week. As some of us, the next step is to be quiet more. For some of us, it's to take a break. For some of us, it's to go back and offer forgiveness or ask for forgiveness. God, I pray that you continue moving and that right here, right now, Center Church would be an example of what God's kingdom is really like. Not through what we say we believe, not through the ministries we do even, not even just through our services, but through our own individual use of words. We ask that you continue moving in that way. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we are not alone. Thank you that it's your spirit that guides us comforts us and, and brings us the words we need in the moments that we don't have them. But God, I pray right now, you just begin that work in us, in us as children of God and you remove any obstacles that are in the way of doing that. We love you and pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand up because we're going to respond in worship and let God keep working on us as we move through our time together. Let's sing. Let's worship.